pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk's podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today, and thank you so much for subscribing to my YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please go ahead and do that. All right, today's show is something different. I want to talk about the top five strategies that I share with parents, and these are the things that I teach parents to do first. So in some of the show, I'm going to be talking like I'm talking directly to parents just because I want you to be able to hear that and be able to really own those words and take my words and use them as your own as you are talking with parents and having these conversations that we all need to be having, especially right at the beginning. And I think the information that I'm going to share with you today is really going to set the stage for success for the widest array of families that we serve with late-talking toddlers and preschoolers. And of course, we're going to tweak these strategies depending on what we see going on with each individual child. And there will be some children like who have markers for autism that we're going to emphasize the social things more than we emphasize the talking piece. And you'll certainly be able to do that. But from my experience, especially at Teach Me to Talk and the kinds of questions and emails that I get from parents, these are the things that I think make the most difference for parents right at the very beginning. So this podcast is all about parent education. And if you're a parent, you're certainly going to benefit uh, from this information too. Now, therapists, let me remind you that you can get uh, one hour CE credit for just $5 in our $5 CEU program at Teach Me to Talk. And this is show 421. If you want to check that out and be sure to claim your credit. You'll also get a handout too, which I think will be immensely helpful for you in your practice with late talking toddlers and their families. So let's go ahead and start moving through these strategies. And remember, these are the top five things that I try to teach parents from the very beginning just to get us off on uh, the right foot when we're first beginning services with their child. And in case you're wondering, all of these strategies are evidence-based practice, which means what? They're rooted in science and backed by research. So I think that's so important to tell parents so they don't think that you're just sitting there coming up with things to do, even based on your own experience. They need to know that these are the things that we know that work with late-talking toddlers to move them toward understanding and using more language. So what's our very first strategy? And this is something that I think, again, just sets the stage for parents, and it might not be something that you're accustomed to talking about, but I talk about right off the bat that we have to be so intentional with late-talking toddlers about teaching them language, and we have to really think about maximizing our time together to do that. So what I say to parents first is you have got to devote some time to this and some effort to this, to working with your toddler. Don't believe the therapist or other professionals that come in and say, hey, you can just make a tweak here or a tweak there and it's going to make a big difference. That, that simply is not true. <laughs> and we've got to talk to parents about that from the beginning. And this is the best time to do it, when they are already willing to set up services, to schedule these appointments, to get their child evaluated. And so we need to tell them right off the bat, look, you're going to have to devote some time to this, and you're going to have to change some of the things that you do. And why would we say that? 
because if what they were already doing were going to work, we wouldn't even be there. And so we have to, again, talk to parents at the beginning about making these shifts and making these changes right at the beginning. And what I share with, with parents from the beginning is that actually the kids who make the most progress are the kids who have parents that really carve out time just one-on-one to work with their children independently. And again, this may not be a popular thing for you to say. Working in a state early intervention program, they may really want you to tailor all of your strategies to uh, families' everyday routines, and that's fabulous. And I get it when when a researcher says we have to tie into existing family uh, routines so that they will get the buy-in and so we'll even have a chance and a shot at them wanting to do it. That's great and I'm going to talk about that as well and talk about that with families as well but (laughs) the truth is the kids will make faster progress when their parents are fully on board and when they prioritize this and this is what I always say too if at any point during therapy you don't feel like your child is making enough progress time is what we need to do just more time with the strategies more exposure more more effort with with helping them learn how to understand and use words and that already again sets the stage for you as the therapist so that when you're talking about and a parent is expressing frustration for lack of progress or for how slow things seem to be going i always say remember what we said at the beginning time is what really matters so let's think about how we can provide even more intervention and that doesn't necessarily mean me going more or you going more or them them coming to see you more it means that the child just needs more time in general with someone usually his parents implementing these interventions all day every day to make uh, a real big difference you know we can't let the time discussion though share, uh, scare parents off So uh, we have to really talk about how we can start this at the beginning with just really short bursts. And what I try to tell parents is just start with, you know, 10 minutes here and 10 minutes there. But but we've got to be super, super focused. And again, they need to be uninterrupted, which means that neither one of them is looking at a screen. (laughs) When we do that, we are just ensuring that a child will not continue to pay attention to us and continue to let us share that experience with him. So you have to talk about with times, again, even though it's just 10 minutes not uh, letting yourself or allowing yourself to be distracted during that time and again I tell parents during this 10 minute period you can do almost anything with your child you can certainly do a daily routine and we're going to talk about bath time and meals and those kinds of things but you can also think about things like reading a book together which is so evidence-based if you haven't uh, listened to my other podcast lately I talk a ton about that two shows ago so I guess it's 419 where I did a whole research show about what research tells us about late talkers and just the data and the statistics and one of the most widely recommended and highly researched topics between parent-child interaction what always in studies seems to get um, just the efficacy is there it's effective is teaching parents how to read books to their children and then really having parents use that time to not only increase their literacy skills but their language skills and so talking with a parent about that you know, just with different tweaks that we can do with what their routines are, or or if they're not reading, we can say, you know, this is something that really helps your child's language development. And again, so many times parents don't know how to do these things or don't know how important they that they are to their child's development. And that's part of our job to help them understand those things. And I did a whole series about literacy and language. It shows 
415, 416, and 417. So if you haven't checked out those podcasts, that'll give you some really good strategies to help parents. And if you're a parent listening, to help you use books more effectively with your toddler with language delay. So parents can read during that those little 10-minute bursts. They can play, you know, which if you follow my work for any amount of time, you know, that's something that I talk about is just kids learn everything through play and certainly toddlers. And when we are teaching toddlers how to play, we're working on their language, but we're also building the foundational skills for language with teaching them those cognitive concepts that you only learn by doing. And certainly every kind of play opportunity with a toddler, even if it's just trial and error, he's learning, he's building his knowledge base. And so we have to layer language on that so those things make more sense. And so he can talk about the things that he's learning. And again, so he can link meaning, link your words, those abstract concepts of your words to that play that he's learning. So parents can read a book, they can play, or the other thing that if you've watched a lot of my videos or have followed my work or have uh, some of my therapy manuals that I talk about a lot is playing social games. And those are those well-established little routines that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. The child learns an end. The child learns what to anticipate in that little game. He likes it. He wants to stay with you. He's hearing the same words over and over and over and over. And repetition is so powerful for helping late uh, talking toddlers, again, learn to what those words mean is they hear them as you use them over and over and over and then how to say those words because they have those opportunities. But the context of the little game where you are putting it in something that's just really special that you and your child do together, those little routines. And when we implement those kinds of things, we can see children light up and begin to connect with us. And after we have that interaction piece going, that's when we know that language learning is most likely to take place. And so you've got to set the stage and talk to parents about that. And, and really talk about how we're going to put all these strategies in daily routines, but we're also going to carve out these little special times where you can think about them as just your little at-home therapy program. If a parent likes that or you, after, after, when you're talking with a parent, you'll kind of judge what, what they expect, what they want their time with their child to look like. And so talk about these little special play times. So back to talking about these little short bursts. For many late-talking toddlers, this will be easy. They have really well-established listening skills, which means they have stronger auditory skills. And so they, they usually don't have receptive language delays. They like playing with toys. They're just missing the expressive language piece. And so this talking to a parent about saying, you know, we're just going to do this little short burst of play, especially at the beginning, and then gradually work up to where you're spending more and more time working on your language strategies together. For some parents, they'll say, hey, I can start out with that 15 or 20 minute of time right now because we're already doing that. And that is fantastic when that happens. But <laughs> for many of our other little friends with language delays, they, if you listen to that show, 419, we talked about in the research that even kids who recover from late talking, researchers have found that they have naturally or just what, what they came with, just their auditory processing skills are weaker than children who do not have language delays. And that makes a lot of sense with how do we learn how to talk? We listen. We listen to other people say words. We listen to other people's conversations. We listen when our parents talk directly to us and try to teach us things. And again, the mode that they're using would be a verbal way of teaching you. So those those auditory skills, those listening skills, again, in kids that are late talkers, even after they catch up, 
uh, they just they came to us wired a little differently with that those skills are weaker and so for those kids and for those parents who again let me say because of the genetics we know with light talking may have some of those uh, weaker language skills too so for parents this might even be harder to think about oh 10 minutes that's a long time that's what am I going to do during that time that's my child will never sit with me that long he's he's way too busy for this and so for some parents we might have to say you know you might have to work up to this and you always reassure them and always say but I'm here to do that I'm going to teach you how to do that we're going to learn some strategies that you didn't know before they're going to make this a lot easier so why does all this time matter and again this is a conversation that you need to have with yourself as a therapist or as a professional first before we have it with parents so that you really really understand why you're talking about time and why you want parents to to devote more time to this than they already have in the past and it's not really based on you might be thinking oh this is based on the ABA model where it says that kids with autism need 20 to 25 hours a week of engagement to make consistent progress and that is true but did you know that the reason that we have that recommendation just kind of across uh, fields here in the fields of education and uh, just uh, child development or child language development it's because typically developing children, toddlers, usually spend about 20 to 25 hours a week with active listening, active engagement with other adults in their environments. Now, do they sit down and do it, you know, like a, like a job, their job, 8 to 12 every morning? No, it is throughout the day, and that is why, and it is during daily routines, but again, remember what we said, those kids listen better. Their, their brains are more capable or more, um, just, just they're, they're wired, again, with typically developing children wired, again, to learn language. And so that, that's how we have to think about that. So hitting that 20 to 25 hour a week mark is what research has determined to be the kind of tipping point where kids get enough listening and they get enough engagement and interaction with other people that language starts to really make a turn for the more positive. And so again, why is that? Because typically developing children, it's not hard to keep their attention and their focus. They want to stay with you. They want to learn from you. Again, their little ears are more attuned to listening to your words and assigning meaning has not been as difficult for them as say a late talker with a receptive language delay so this is the part we have to change first again it's the amount of time that you spend working on it and it's not easy for a kid or you would have already done it and so we have to really talk with parents about that and one thing I say especially after we've had the 20 to 25 hour a week conversation is that most late talkers thankfully respond beautifully with a lot less time than this <laughs> but we're just going to have to get as much time as we can log more time so that we really kind of know if he starts to make progress keeps on making progress okay that's enough we found the right dosing but if he's not time is what we really really need to focus on and again any time can count if a mom does you know breakfast without a screen and that takes 20 minutes and she's done a lot of the strategies we're going to talk about and then later in the morning she plays a couple of rounds of little social games with them you know that might be 20 minutes for breakfast 20 minutes for that little play period and then let's just say uh, you know at lunch they're going to do the same 20 minutes again or or read books right before they go down for a nap. If you start adding up all these things, you can get to two hours pretty easily in the course of a day. And so talk to your parent about that and say, you know, that's 14 hours and you haven't even really done anything different yet. That's fantastic. 
And so talk with parents about how they can really log that time. And this is the thing I always say, no matter how behind a child is, that amount of time is going to make a huge difference. And even children with significant delays in language can make a, cover a lot of ground, make a lot of progress in that amount of time. So carve out some special time together one-on-one -on -one every single day and make your everyday routines count too by using the strategies that we're gonna to continue to talk about. All right, let's move forward with strategy number two. This is really important because now we're addressing how a parent talks. So the second strategy for helping a late talking toddler is to simplify what they hear. So that means we have to look at changing the way that we talk to a child. And a child, what a child hears, the language that he hears other people say has a direct a, just a direct connection to his ability to learn how to talk. And so when we talk to parents about that, sometimes they don't make that connection clearly enough. Sometimes parents think that just a child flipping through a book is a language activity, but we have to say, unless he's hearing the right words, and again, we know that your child has a language delay, so something, there's something amiss here. So you talk with them about specifically changing the kinds of language that their child hears uh, and we've already talked about that that why that that research has really told us that and research has really taught us that that we've got to simplify and we've got to again make it easier and that we have to do it for more time so this is even more important to simplify what we say to a late talking toddler when there are receptive language issues too. Now you can't just say, as you already know, receptive language issues to parents. They have no idea what you're talking about. So you've really got to talk about things like how he understands language, how he processes uh, the, the directions that you give him. And again, you can't measure that without really looking at what a child can actually do. So here's what I say. I talk with them and say, uh, how well is your child doing these kinds of things? And if he's over 18 months old, he should be following simple, familiar commands and daily routines really, really consistently. So things like go get your shoes, bring me your cup, throw your diaper away where's your ball, or even things in daily routines like let's go get a snack where he would know that that means go to the kitchen or let's go take a bath and he would know that that means uh, go to your bathroom. And so when a kid isn't understanding those kinds of directions well enough, that's why he's not talking. And so we have to really talk with parents about the simplification process for those kids is even more important because again they're not able to pick out all the words from the blah blah they're not able to hear you say a long long paragraph and know uh, what they should say from that and so that's that's true for a kid with an expressive delay so then when we layer a receptive delay on top of that meaning that a kid doesn't link meaning and he, he just he not only can he not pick out the important words when he can he doesn't even know what it means and so we have to help parents not miss this now if you are a therapist and if you have worked for more than a week or two you've already had experience with this because you've probably asked a parent how much how well does your child understand language or how much does your child understand and what do do they all say <laughs> nearly every parent will say he understands everything and then you start to assess him and you've spent some time with him and then you realize nothing could be further from the truth and so you have to kind of get you have to realize that when you hear that from a parent you need a follow-up question right away don't don't naturally assume that they are equating what you know to be true about receptive language with what they are saying he understands everything means. And so you've got to take it a step further and say, how well does he follow directions? Because you will have parents who say he understands everything and then act like, well, 
no, he, he never does anything I say. And so you've got to help them see that disconnect. We can only count or measure language comprehension by what a child actually does when he hears a verbal command. And so lots of times there's just a strong chance that a parent has overestimated what their child who's not talking has uh, been able to understand. And so I talk with parents about kind of testing that on a daily basis and, and giving them those little commands that we already talked about and seeing how well they do that without hand gestures because all of us, most of us, talk with our hands. And so we're saying, go get your cup. Go bring me your cup. See your cup right there. And so we're given that visual cue when a lot of times if uh, kids with, we talked about those weaker auditory systems, they come to rely on visual cues and so they depend on you pointing and so sometimes when we talk to parents about taking those visual cues away they realize how much their child doesn't understand and then you have to say as a therapist but <laughs> I want you to still keep doing that because that helps your child follow those directions and understand what he's doing so particularly when we see this with a parent we have to say, you know, here's the good news in this. We know what the problem is. When a kid doesn't talk very, or doesn't understand very much, he's not going to talk very much. So we've got to back up and help him learn how to understand words. And how do we do this? We're not going to take a lot of time right here to talk about your receptive language strategies because I've done a lot of podcasts about this. But you can just search receptive language at Teach Me to Talk or even uh, on our at our YouTube channel on our page. Just search uh receptive language or help my child listen or this is what you could also search tell him show him help him and those are the cues that I use and that really encompasses your verbal cues with tell him your visual cues with show him and your physical cues with help him and so that's what we do anytime we want a child to follow directions we tell him what to do we show him what to do by pointing by holding up the item and then if he still doesn't do it we take his little hands, we walk him over there, and we help him do it. And so tell him, show him, help him is really, really important. Uh, it's a great, great cue for parents. The other thing we do for kids with lang uh, receptive language delays, meaning they don't follow a lot of directions, is we want parents to teach them to do their part in everyday routines. And this helps a child not be able to do that passive, just kind of go from one thing to the next. And parents don't always understand that either. And we have to really, really talk about this with parents and say, you know, we want to give your child a part of every little thing that you do at home. And so with diaper changes, his part might be what? Throwing away the diaper. With When a snack, he, his part is maybe taking his cup from the kitchen over to where he's going to sit down and eat his little snack in front of his TV or whatever he's going to do. And so you look at your daily routines, everyday routine, and you come up with a job. And then for the receptive language part, the parent has to give the child that command. So they have to say what it is. So after diaper change, they have to say, go throw it away. Let's go throw your diaper away. And again, you're going to have to take a child and do the show him, help him part two, if this is not something that a child has done before. But it's a wonderful, wonderful way to work in those receptive language commands, those things that, that parents of kids with typically developing language are already doing all day, every day, and they may not even really realize they're doing it. They just think they're parenting. But a lot of our little uh, parents with our little guys who have receptive language delays don't do these things. And we don't know about it until we're talking to them about their daily routines. So let me give you some other examples. When a cup is empty, a child's little job could be that he goes to you know toss it over the edge there into the sink 
Before leaving the house, we could ask a child to go get her shoes or her backpack or whatever, or her coat, whatever she's going to need for that outing. When it's time to get out of the bathtub, the child's job, you might say, let's clean up, clean up your toys, come on, clean up. And their little job might be to put them in the basket that you use to drain the bathtub toys or to throw them out over the side of the bathtub if mom just lets them dry there on the floor, whatever it is. Whatever little command you could come up with. It might be leaving the room and you let a child turn off the lights. Now, will that turn into an obsessive compulsive kind of fixation for a child? Probably. <laughs> but you're teaching them how to do what you say and how to understand what those words mean as a way to, again, just expand that child's ability to understand words. One of my favorite ways to do this is if a child has a favorite routine, it's that a child has to get something to uh, start that routine or to to signal the beginning of that routine. So if a child likes to snuggle with his mom on uh, the couch with a blanket, his little job might be go get the blanket so we can snuggle. Let's snuggle. Go get your blanket. Or if a child likes to read, it would be go get your book. Go find your book. And again, mom has to be really diligent about giving these little commands and letting letting the child do that, helping, going, showing, and helping too so that that can be part of a routine. And then once the child masters that first little direction, then you add a second job in a routine, or you add more routines where you have one or two little jobs. And so you wanna do this and really, really build this up. And this, parents love this advice. Don't think that you're asking them, again, this would be where you're really, mixing something and melding it into their existing routines. This is something that they really like. When they start to see their child respond and they say, gosh, he's really doing it now. Those little things we talked about last week, those four little jobs, you said, you know, we came up together that we wanted him to do this after after meals and do this at bath time and, and she'll say you know he's doing that great he's doing that great and so see then there's so much motivation there and so you'll know that with a parent when they're doing that because they get so excited and then you say hey you know what you are making it more and more likely that he is just going to be able to talk a lot sooner than if we were not working on these things because you're really setting the stage for that and you're really helping him understand what words mean so always bring it back to that now these kinds of little commands are so important to me because one I know that if a parent is really intentionally working on these things and their child isn't making any progress we've got more of a problem with cognition and we're going to have to really kind of take a step back and look at that cognitive development and look at where that child is and know that most of our time shouldn't be spent in speech therapy on talking it should be spent in really uh, laying the foundation for talking <laughs> or really getting that receptive language piece and that cognitive piece just just as as built up as we can we uh, and, and again sometimes we think or parents will say you know I just I'm not I'm just not doing it I'm just not working with him like I should and so you'll know that too you'll say these parents have a lot on their plate we need to simplify for the parents and you really again talk about uh, what you can do to make that easier for them. For kids like this too, we can't, we have to practice what we preach. So even in sessions, if you are talking with a parent really hitting home about receptive language, receptive language, receptive language, but you are focused only on your expressive goals during sessions, you are being a hypocrite. And so you've got to go back and really work on the receptive language piece too. So talk with parents about, you know, oh, in this, you know, in this therapy activity that we're doing right now with this puzzle, we're not even going to ask him to say anything. We're just going to focus on how well he understands 
understands this. So we're going to give him some little directions. And you can certainly do this every single time, every single toy. You can work in receptive language with cleanup time. And so it, let's go back to your puzzle example. So it, you've done the puzzle and then to clean that up, you can say to a child, where's the boat? clean up the boat and you can have him throw the puzzle piece in a bag that you have or a basket or anything that you've designated as your cleanup uh, material or your cleanup uh, container and so you do that you really you really model that working on receptive language and you always like we said tie it back to we are setting the stage for him to talk now because he understands uh, more language and we say you know once your child understands more we know he's going to be able to say more and we say things too like Kids, anytime there's a problem with understanding language, they're going to talk late and they're going to talk less. And so we tell parents and we say, you know, the only way we're going to get there with him talking is to help him understand more and more words. And so a lot of times with parents, too, when we say these things, when we talk about following directions or even talking, we'll, we'll say that and they'll say, well, it's not that he can't do it, Laura, it's just that he won't do it. And they try to label everything as behavior. And so if you have a parent who's saying things like, he's so lazy, he's so stubborn, you know, you know right then that if you're not prepared to do it when they first say it, you know you better address this and get yourself a little script before you meet with that family again and say, you know, I want to go back to talking about this. It's not that your child can't talk. It's not that your child can't follow directions. Or, I mean, it is that your child can't talk. It is that your child can't follow directions. It's not that he won't do it. And so you say, it's not that he won't do it. It's that he can't do it. And you help them make that really, really important shift and that really, really important distinction because we treat kids differently when we know something is a developmental issue versus a behavioral issue. When it's behavioral, what do we want to do? We want to punish it. We want to control it. You might not even say punish it, but we want to reward it if it's good. But usually it's that negative part is that we want to extinguish it. We want to get rid of it. And so you have to talk with parents about that and say, that's not what's going on here. That's not my take on this. Knowing all I know about language development, that's, that's not what's happening with your baby. He doesn't understand words yet. And we've got to get him to understand words. And when he does, you will see, you will believe me at that point. Because when he understands more, he's going to do more. And when he understands more, he's going to say more. So help parents with that. Now, I call this little talk my can't versus won't talk. I started writing about this way back in 2008 when we launched Teach Me to Talk. Lots of other therapists have borrowed my words, which is fine. <laughs> I wish they'd give me credit, but it's fine. But go back and, and look at some of those articles that teach me to talk with can't versus won't because it is a huge shift that if you're a professional and you haven't made that shift, that's something you need to do today <laughs> so that you, again, you're not mislabeling these things or, or helping helping a parent just really solidify their belief that their child is stubborn and that's why they're not talking and so really help parents get through that and move through that so either way when we when we have a kid that we're working on let, let's look at this when we have a kid that we are again thinking that it's just he won't talk not that he can't talk again we could be so authorita authoritative we could be so just overbearing with that kid and then what happens you end up in a power struggle especially with the parents who want to quote unquote punish bad behavior that's what they're doing about talking they're like you got to say it or you can't get it you know when they're holding the milk up and no wonder their kids you know thralling around on the floor and flailing around on the floor because he's upset he knows he can't do it and so we have to really help parents do that there on the other hand you have parents that are so passive about their child not talking and you just won't do it you know they've kind of given up and you need to energize those parents and say 
no, no, he can't do it. You're going to be able to teach him how to do it. That's what this therapy is for. And again, you give them energy so they're not just so passive about it. Either way, we've got to change parents, whether it's thinking about following directions so they can understand more words and then say more words or talking. We have to move parents from he won't do it to he can't do it. All right, so let's go back to our uh, strategy of simplification. So what are we doing here? We are going to simplify what we're saying so that we can give lots of single words and single words too. We're going to repeat those keywords and help kids pull that, those keywords out of all that blah, blah. And then we're going to, again, be sure that they are linking that meaning and repeating it enough so that they know what to say after that. So simplification usually means saying less. So let me give you an example. And this is an example I've used for a long, long time. So let's say that you want to give your child a treat that you got the day before at the grocery store and so you might say something like sweetie look what mommy got I got this treat for you yesterday at the grocery store remember you were with me it was after we dropped your sister off at ballet but before we picked your brother up from soccer and I just know you're gonna love this and we just go on and on and on and on and on and if this is a cookie that we have gotten from the grocery store did we even say the word cookie in that example no. And so that's what a lot of chatty parents are doing. They hear just talk to your child, talk to your child, talk to your child. And they don't realize, again, because late talkers have kind of that natural predisposition to not processing and understanding words as quickly as they're typically developing counterparts. We don't know that. And so we don't give them their keywords and we don't repeat like they should. So that's certainly something. Instead of that example I gave you, it would be much more effective to say cookie want a cookie? Look, cookie. And offering it that way because we've modeled the keyword three times. We've slowed it way down. We've taken all that other extraneous junk out of there that is important for a child to be able to understand more and more language. But at the same time, if he's not talking, we know we have to modify it. And when you give a parent an example like that, they can see the difference. And it kind of takes the pressure off too because they know they've just got to get the keyword and they've got to repeat it. And the other thing they need to do is really put it at the ends of phrases. So want a cookie would be better than having cookie in the middle or cookie at the beginning. So talk with them about that. Now therapists call this modeling. You know what it's called as a professional, but you need to be sure your parents understand what that means. And I like calling it simplification. We're going to use lots of single words, those keywords, we're going to repeat those keywords a lot because kids have to hear them over and over and over before they understand them and then before they say them. And then we're going to put those keywords at the ends of phrases. And we'll continue to talk about that more as we move through the strategies. All right. The third strategy that we want to use to help a late talker that we're going to teach his parents, it might be something he's not already doing yet. We're going to teach moms and dads to respond to and repeat every single noise their child makes. Now, will they do it every single time? No, but can we get them doing it more consistently? Yes, and why is this possible? And you may be like me, and not have valued reciprocal imitation as much as you should have as a therapist. And again, if you're a parent, reciprocal imitation just means that you're, you want that child to imitate you so that he can learn how to talk. But before that, he, you might have to imitate him. And again, I just read a piece of research, if you'll go back and listen to that show, 419, that talked about one, they, they took a set of kids at two, a set of toddlers who were classified as language delayed, and then they reassessed those kids at four. 
And one of the factors, the t- well, let me just give you both the factors. The two factors that, that made a difference with between kids who had a language delay at two and who made enough progress to no longer have meet the diagnostic criteria for language delay at four, they didn't have the comprehension delays at 20 months. All right, great. We talked about that. They didn't have as much ground to cover. They already understood what words meant, so then they could just focus on talking. But the second part was their parents were good at imitating any non-words the child said. So non-words, what are non-words? It's when they just babble or when they just say, uh, when you think they're talking about something and then you repeat that to them and then you assign meaning. And so they found a link there. One of the things the study talked about, something that I mentioned before too that I wanna mention it, is again, because we know late talking can be genetic, that sometimes parents, again, as adults, continue to have those those auditory processing skills where they their, their auditory discrimination skills aren't as great. So if their kid says, aga, they may have a hard time saying aga because they didn't really understand they, they can't make it make sense. It's a non-word, so they don't want to do it. And so, again, a parent might miss that a child's saying, aga, aga, and he might be trying to say dog. I mean, it might sort of be on enough so that we uh, rose-colored glasses therapist people who can kind of make a word out of anything, we might get it. And sometimes parents can do that, again, to a fault where they're just interpreting everything as purposeful when it's really not. But here, the the theory is that all words start as non-words. And so when a parent gets good at repeating a child, what they're saying, they're focused on that child, they're tuned into what they're saying, and they're more likely to try to shape that word. Now, as therapists, we are very, very uh, familiar with the word shaping. And so we have to talk about that though in a way that a parent will understand it and so let me give you an example so let's let's use that example we already started with started with let's say that the kid looks at a dog and says ah or ga or duh or something that a parent thinks well that might be dog because one of those sounds is in there and he's looking at the dog and so what do you do you say you repeat them if they said ah you say yes ah dog you're trying to say dog that's a dog ah dog or whatever they have to do to kind of get it there and so help parents get in the habit of that and so for parents again living in this technology driven everybody has ADD because of all the screens we're attached to all day and all the alert bells that are constantly going off and so when we talk about to a parent you need to repeat everything or most of what your child says, that also gets them to tune in and really, again, help them kind of disconnect and know how important that is. And so it's also a good strategy here when parents are doing a lot of that reciprocal imitation. We don't always want the kid to try to say what he said. We don't always try to get that expressive in there. But I have found when I'm modeling this uh, for a parent or when a kid just does it in therapy and he picks up something, let's say that he picked up my glass here, my Yeti here, and he wants a drink and he goes, ah, and you say, oh, you want a drink or cup? I would probably go with cup. I would try to match the vowel there, cup. Oh, you want my cup? You want a drink from my cup? Laura's cup. And so you're modeling in. And then before you give him the drink, you say, yes, you can have it. It's a, or what do you want? You want a, and you are setting up that, that carrier phrase, 
so to speak, but really that fill in the blank or completion method that we're going to talk a lot about in a minute with verbal routines, but you're setting that up. And a lot of kids will then repeat their word that they tried to say for that. If they said, uh, when I'm saying it's a, uh, and they say, ah, uh, again for cup, and you're realizing, yes, that is what he's trying to say. And so uh, this may be a tad, uh, a little bit of a reach from that study that we just talked about, but our point is that we want reciprocal imitation well established in our families because it really helps them pay attention to what their kid is trying to say and it gives us something to shape if we already know that a kid is uh, trying to do that and we're going to recognize that he has a lot more word attempts uh, than we th may have thought that he previously had and so when we want a kid to learn how to imitate us which we're going to talk a lot about in the next strategies one way we can get there is by imitating him. And so be sure that the parents that you're working with uh, understand reciprocal imitation and that you're able to model that strategy for them. All right, let's move on now. And we're going to talk about strategy number four. Instead of focusing on a child to say words, we're going to focus on something that's easier for a child. So we're going to teach a child to use play sounds. And what I usually, how I usually say this to parents is, hey, before a kid starts to talk, he has got to get noisy. And I'm hearing your child say a little bit, but he's still pretty quiet. So we've got to get some noise. And then what I say about that is, and you know what? He's not really ready for words yet. There's some things that come before words that I think that are going to work a lot better for your child. And I think this we need to meet him where he is right here. And I'm hearing him say a lot more sounds. So this is what we're going to focus on instead of less words. And I say less words, more noise. And so that's what we have to help parents uh, understand. Lots of times, and if you'll think about this as a therapist, when we first get a child, when they first come to us for their assessment or evaluation, sometimes they'll already have a little handful of words. And sometimes they're real functional words like mama or baba. But sometimes late talkers come to us, <coughs> pardon me, with just words like, uh-oh, or words like animal sounds or a little noise he'll make. He'll do like a little, and you'll, you might not even know what he's saying. And you'll say to mom, what's that? And she'll say, he wants a car. That's what he says for car. And so they adopt their little sounds to be meaningful. So that's why when a lot of kids start to identify animals, they'll call their animal the the sound that it makes and so so instead of calling a cow a cow they'll call the cow a moo and when you have this kind of thing with a kid and instead of really trying to change all that to a real word at the beginning of their late talker we need to go with that we need to maximize that and so again we start at a level that's a lot easier for a child with a language delay. And so I'm not meaning that we're going to do individual phonemes if you're an SLP and I might, you might think that I'm meaning that we're gonna teach a sound in isolation. You know, we're gonna really get it going right here and say, watch me, pop, 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 pop. now say pop. We're not, we're not doing anything like that with a late talker. We know that we cannot worry about that articulation. And again, if you're a therapist, I, I know you've probably already broken that association in your mind, but uh, sometimes our therapists in other fields haven't, our friends that are DIs, or developmental interventionists or t preschool teachers or 
certainly parents, sometimes they really think, oh, I better start with the sound, so I better teach my child the alphabet and how to produce every sound, and then he's going to be able to say words. Talk to parents about no. Our, our beginning, our, our, our basic unit of meaning here is still that word, and we have to do that with late talkers. We can clean up those specific sounds later, but they've got to be talking first before we do that. So what I'm talking about here would be, like, like I said before, more like sound effects or those exclamatory words like uh-oh and what wow and wee and oh boy you know even if they're or it's even more than one word even a little phrase a holistic phrase and so we want to meet kids where they are and get them uh, saying words that are a lot easier most of the time they are easier uh, phonetically or phonemically when we look at them their sounds or even how we would transcribe that it's an easier pronunciation it's certainly more novel which makes uh, these kinds of sounds so fun for toddlers to try and if you'll think about it too uh, in a typically developing baby's repertoire there between six months it starts kind of with a fake cough you know <coughs> They're trying to get your attention, and they learn that that's real funny, and so they'll play a little game with you. And our late talkers sometimes don't do that with, with just those noisy kinds of sounds. And so if we're working with a child and a family that they haven't done that, I, I say, this is what I say. I say, we've got to go back and pick that up. We've got to get that little vocal play stage going. And you might have thought that he babbled, and then he stopped, or, you you know, whatever you're saying to the parent. You know, you told me that he babbled, and then he kind of got quieter. we got to go back and pick that up. So we've got to make him noisier. And I tell parents, listen, this is a lot easier than teaching him how to babble. And some therapists really do talk about babbling, and will really model that and really try to get that going with the kid but I think these play sounds are an easier way to do it especially with a toddler who is more likely to be able to imitate these things because they're fun and because they're meaningful we start to assign meaning and then recognize that and so that's why I like using these little examples so we t let me give you some more things to do so let's go back to our our farm animal example because animal sounds are so easy for parents to under, uh, kind of get this or even with vehicles play with those things in a session with a parent and say you know we're still go going to talk we're still going to say oh look here's our car you know ready set go you know we're still saying ready set go but we are we are interjecting all of these little sounds in there and again you would do it in context it wouldn't sound as fake and as I did it then, you're going to do it with the car, and so it's going to sound a lot better. But you say to a parent, I just I want to focus on how you and I right here together, how many different sounds we can come up with. And you might say to a parent, listen, we don't want 35 different sounds. We only want, you know, maybe five new little sounds here. But we want to come up with a lot of sound effects that we can use in play rather than all these words. And so just walk through them with that. You know, sit down with their toys. Sit down with what their child likes to play. If he loves Thomas the Train and Mom has been saying, Thomas, it's Thomas. Look, Thomas, say Thomas. <laughs> with no success, you've got to really back that up. So you could say, you know, let's just say things like woo-woo or or let's say when the train crashes into another train, we're just going to go, Poof! you know, and just give her all kinds of sounds. And if you get really smart about it as an SLP and you can sit there and say, 
kind of think, well, how have I heard this child vocalize? What kinds of sounds has he made as he's vocalizing here? And you might even be able to sit there and be so on the ball that you're thinking he's got some bilabials in his, or even in his little vocabulary here. Let me come up with some play sounds that have some bilabials because I know that he can do it. And think about that, you know, think about those kinds of things and think about how you can share that with a parent and say, hey, he's got some, you know, he says mama all the time. And so when we're playing with this car, you know, let's try to just say, you know, let's try to get that M or let's say B, B, because that little B is made at the same place in his mouth as that M. And so I think he's got a pretty good shot at being able to say that word. And so put on, you know, put on your thinking caps here. Use your clinical skills and your analysis here with the sounds that a child can say and come up with some sounds that you can have a parent do that with and really, really hit home the fact that your child isn't successful with familiar words yet. That's fantastic. We know that. We are, we are going to adjust for that. So we're going to pull back and focus more on sound effects, which we call play sounds, and talk about how to do that and also get parents doing that in their daily routines. And so when you're looking at a child's favorite toys and favorite activities, include those little daily routines and introduce even some little routines yourself. You know, say, oh, let me teach you a trick. After he does, after he takes a drink, does he say, you know, and if, mom, if a mom says no, teach him that trick. Or she says, well, he's done it a couple times. Say, that'd be great. You know, you realize you're practicing a, you're practicing an H sound and you're getting him ready to do it. And he, he's going to learn how to do his part in conversation. So, you know, he's going to take the drink and his little job here is to go, and you're going to clap for him and you're going to cheer for him. So you're going to reward him and reinforce that attempt. And so talk about that. Say, in the bathtub, when that water's running or when you're washing him off, let's see if we can get just kind of a Let's see if he can do that kind of little sound. And so give them just some really specific things to work on. You are going to get a ton of information from a parent after that, a ton of information about that child's uh, repertoire of the sounds that he can say when he's adding new little play sounds there. And so it's just a wonderful, wonderful strategy if you're not already using it. If you have my book, Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers, you'll know that this is a whole step, a whole level that we teach kids way back here with uh, level four. And, you know, we always talk about words are way up here at level seven. And so we've got to get kids back here doing these easier, earlier things. And so you'll certainly uh, want to do that, too. So I wanted to mention that to you in case you have that book and you can use that resource. All right, let's move on to the fourth strategy for helping a late talker, and that's making it as easy as possible to use real words. Now, we talked about play sounds and how we have to introduce more play sounds because the child is not able yet, <clears throat> pardon me, to use single words, simple, familiar single words. And so now what we're going to do, we're going to make it just a little harder than the play sounds, but not quite as hard as him imitating a word on request for us. So we're going to take his familiar words and we are going to tie it to make it highly predictable and make it super familiar, meaning that we're going to say it over and over and over and over and over until that child begins to recognize the word and then eventually say the word himself. And so what, how do we do this? This is how we use verbal routines. Now, if you've followed my work, 
You know what a verbal routine is. It's when we say the same things at the same time with the same words in the same way. However, I have said it when you've heard it before. It's that we do the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. And so this will make it easier for a child to talk because, again, he's going to hear it. But then we're going to take these really super familiar words that you have said over and over and over and over and that we want him to say. But he only is going to say it right now. We know because of what we know about language development and neuro logical uh how this how all these words come into being we're going to make it automatic and so if you'll think back to your adult neuro patients those of you who are slps and went to grad school we know that when a person loses language because of their because of an assault to their brain to their neurological system like a stroke or like a head injury when they've lost language the number one strategy that we need do as SLPs to get it back is automatic speech. So we start out with things like counting, with things like singing familiar songs that they know. If they went to church, we sing hymns. If they were in the military or patriotic, we, we sing patriotic songs. You know, we pull, we sing just highly familiar songs. If they like country music and their wife says, gosh, he used to sing, you know, this George Strait song all the time. We sing George Strait, right? We get it back for them. The same theory can also be applied to our late talkers. We've got to make it so automatic. The only way we do that is with time. It's with saying the same things over and over and over and over and over. So let's talk about what some common familiar verbal routines are. It would be things like, ready, set, go. One, two, three. Anything that a child can learns and can kind of, and this is a neurological principle too, it's called backward chaining. Kids learn from the back to the beginning, from the end to the beginning. And so we know this. And so we set up our verbal routines, things that we want to eventually have a child say so that we're putting those keywords, like we said at the beginning when we were talking about simplification, we're putting those keywords at the ends of phrases. So to say go, at the beginning, when we want to teach the word go to a kid who's not talking at all, we know, okay, I can probably get it in ready, set, go. And so we come up with all kinds of little routines to, to work on that and to have a kid learn that and know so his little brain predicts what's going to come next. And so that's the kind of thing we need to do. And so, again, we talk about with parents the songs that they sing, the books that they read, the things that their family says over and over and over again. Those are the things that a child is more likely to be able to say before we even get to him imitating other kinds of words. And again, our point here is to make those words become automatic. And so it's the predictability and it's the repetitiveness. And again, remember what we said at the beginning when I was talking about time. And I said, when, when a parent seems distressed about their child isn't making enough progress, I always say it's time. We have to put in the time. He's got to have the time. And I don't mean time like his little system has to catch up. He'll talk when he's ready. I don't mean that. I mean time as in we've got to do the strategies. We have to give him the opportunity. We have to set the stage. We have to build a foundation. And so it's the same thing here with verbal routines. When we get that little pump primed enough, kids do talk. They do. And so we've got to be predictive, predictable, and we've got to be repetitive. And so that's, again, what verbal routines help us really do with kids. The routine becomes familiar. The child begins to participate, link meaning, and then he begins to say the word himself. So let's talk about an example. So we, we already talked about ready, set, go. Let's do one, two, three, because a lot of parents like to 
count and they'll start to work on things like counting and saying letters and numbers and shapes and all that. And we're not necessarily talking about any of that, you know, until a child has a lot of words, we don't need to worry about teaching that. But something like one, two, three could be a, the start of so many fun little routines. So let's just say that your child likes uh, to be <clears throat> thrown up in the air. And so you could start to count, you know, before you do it, you can pick him up and you're going to say, okay, let's play. I'm going to throw you up. Are you ready? Let's say it. One, two, three. And then you throw him up or throw him in the pool or throw him on the couch or th however you want to do it. So three kind of becomes that little uh, word, that automatic speech that he's going to try to complete. And so you tell the parent you're going to play it this way over and over and over and over and over. But then you're going to stop and you're going to use a technique that we call expectant waiting where you pause just long enough for a child to fill in that word. And so because you have said one, two, three, 250 times <laughs> before you expect him to say it. His little brain expects that. And he, he's gonna, his, he's waiting for you to say three. So if you set it up again, where you've played this a lot and then you do your same thing. Oh, I'm gonna throw you up. Let's play. Are you ready? Are you ready? Come on, here we go. One, two, and you pause there and you wait and you give him the tell me face. And I wish I'd made that up, but I read it from a blogger from a long time ago who doesn't even have her blog anymore. But that tell me face where you were looking at him with wide eyes and kind of an open mouth and you're leaning forward and all of your body language screams, it's your turn to talk. And so we pause right there for them to fill in that word. And so this is a highly, highly, highly effective strategy. Does it work? for every single child right away. No, why? Because you've got to get time. You've got to teach them that routine. So let's say, let's do, let's do something. Let's do another, another example. Let's do Ring Around the Rosies. That's one of my favorite games with toddlers, with kids in general, but really with toddlers because we're working on that social interaction piece where they're learning. We're going to play together. You're going to stay with me. You're going to look at me. You can't play this game by yourself and I can't play this game by myself. So we have to play it together. And so for Ring Around the Rosies, that we're holding their hands and we're singing, ring around, walking in a circle. So let's set it up in case you don't know that game. So we hold hands. We, I do the ready, set, go with the beginning of this game. Cause I, or if they're doing one, two, three, we'll do one, two, three. But you do your little ready, set, go. Ready, set, go. Ring around the rosies, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes. We all fall down and so we do that and so again you can tell by my singing voice you do not have to have a perfect singing voice you can have key changes all through your songs with toddlers they don't care and so you've set that up though you've played that little game and so your little all fall down so you're gonna at the end you're gonna play that game you're gonna play ring around the rosies a lot but when you think your kid knows it and loves it when his eyes are twinkly when you're playing when he plays with you, when he grabs your hand to pull you up to play again, you know this is a great game for them. After a while, you'll pause there for the, the second part. Ashes, ashes, we all fall. And again, pause there to see if he's going to fill in down. But it doesn't work unless he's heard it enough. So I hope that that strategy will help you too. You've got to choose a few verbal routines to get late talkers going 
have moms say those routines a lot and and don't just have it tied to they only say ready set go when they play chase they can say ready set go when they play with their racetrack with cars or when even when they're getting ready to open the door to go outside or when they're ready to turn the water on in the bathtub you know you can use ready set go all day uh just think about how you can blend these kinds of things in, especially if they're not like a game like Ring Around the Rosies where it's tied to just playing that game. But think about that with parents. And this is part of their little 10-minute burst that they're going to do. You're giving them concrete, specific things that they can do in those little 10-minute periods that they're going to try to intersperse throughout uh, their whole day. So those verbal routines really, really are effective, but you've got to teach them do it a lot. You've got to put the time piece in, and then you have to teach them how to do that pause there with that uh, expectant waiting. So that those those are the strategies I teach most often, those five strategies. So let's review. Number one, what were we going to do? We're going to devote more time to working on language. And so how do we do that? We don't scare parents with this. We don't maybe not beat them over the head with a 20 to 25 hour recommendation, but we say, hey, the more time you put in with your child, the more hours you can log doing these strategies. Typically, that means he's going to make progress faster. And so that's what we've got to do. And so talk with them about that. Talk with them about even using their strategies in daily routines. That that's why we do it. All that time adds up. But you want to be sure that they're understanding that this they've got to be intentional about it. The second strategy, we're going to simplify. So what did we say about simplification? We said we've got to do it so kids can pick out the key words from all of that talking that we do. And we do it for light talkers who have problems with... Uh, just talking or the expressive piece, but we especially do it for like talkers who have comprehension issues as well. So when a kid is not following directions and he's over 18 months, we know there's a receptive language issue. And kids who don't understand words, what? They talk less and they talk late. So we've got to simplify what they're hearing because that's how kids learn how to talk. And so we use lots of keywords. We repeat those keywords and we put those keywords where? At the ends of phrases. If we're going to use phrases, we put them at the end. The third strategy we're going to teach is reciprocal imitation. And remember, parents have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so you are going to teach them to imitate sounds that their child makes. And we're going to go one step further. And if we can shape that word and get it closer to the word, and how do we do that? We just model. We assign meaning to it and we model. That's our first step there with like talkers. So that was strategy three. Strategy four, we're going to uh, make more noise and use less words when we're specifically doing our little, especially our little 10-minute play uh, or 20-minute play sessions. I'm not sure I said that when we were uh, going through the strategies before, but that's what we need to do, especially during those times. Less words, more noise. And so we're going to think about sound effects, play sounds, exclamatory words. We're going to give parents lists of those kinds of things. And again, you can get that from building verbal imitation skills in toddlers if, if that's something that's new for you, play sounds and verbal routines. And that was our last strategy, verbal routines. We're going to put those familiar words in highly predictable and highly repetitive routines because we're going to get words there first and then then and only then are we going to move on to teaching kids how to imitate words uh, just when we're modeling a word and, and they can imitate it because kids can't get there 
from no words and usually at the beginning of your time with a family or with a child they're just not developmentally there if it were going to be that easy don't you think mom and dad would have already figured out how to do it <laughs> they probably would have and so use these starter strategies use those first strategies and don't forget too if a kid has a receptive language delay as well, it's going to take longer because you have to cover more ground. You have to teach him not only to say the word, but first you have to teach him what the words mean. And so for those kids, you really have to talk with parents about, we're still gonna use the sounds and the verbal routines, but it's probably gonna take a little bit longer because we've gotta work on that uh, understanding part first. So those are the five strategies that I share with parents right off the bat. I think they make, again, the biggest impact in the shortest amount of time because we get parents knowing, hey, I've got to pay attention to this. I've got to work with my child. I've got to simplify what I say. I've got to repeat what he says. And then I've got to model uh, not real words, but sounds or make those words just as easy as possible for him to be able to repeat. Okay, that's all for today's show. Uh, the resources I mentioned in the show are super important if you're a speech-language pathologist or an early intervention professional or as a mom and dad working with your own child at home. So building verbal imitation skills in toddlers. All kids learn how to talk by imitating, and this is how we get them there. The other... Uh, manual of mine that I mentioned was teach me to play with you and this is where we talked about the social games those little games uh, that we talked about like uh, one two three or ring around the rosies or just anything like peekaboo or chase or any of those little games this book walks you step by step through those instructions so you can see what the individual goals are for each game the words are there for parents and it just makes it easy for everybody so teach me to play with you is probably the number one thing that i mentioned first to parents of late talkers and actually uh, i give this book to the families that i see because that's so how important it is now and one more thing if you don't if you have a late talker and you're not sure why they're not talking, this is a manual that can help you figure that out. I've got tons of checklists in here and it addresses the 11 things that come first before we start to hear words. We talked about a lot of the strategies in today's show. They're actually pulled from Let's Talk About Talking. So I'll link all three of those therapy manuals in the post below so that you can uh, get your hands on a copy of those resources. All right, thank you so much for joining me today for this podcast. I'm so grateful that you were here with me. If you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, please do that now. Um, that's it. Thanks so much. I hope you'll join me uh, next time. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and you've watched Teach Me to Talk's podcast.